Okay, I'd like, I think we should talk about Shemitah. About Shemitah, even though this is not a Shemitah year, but uh, it was a Shemitah year in the recent past. So if you look at uh, the Pesukim at the beginning of our... Uh, the first Pesukim on the sheet is a Pesukim in, in the parish of Mishpatim, right, where Shemitah is mentioned. The second Pesukim on the sheet are the Pesukim at the beginning of our parasha. So you know that there's a big issue made out of Bahar Sinai, which we're not going to talk about. But we have talked about it in the past. What I want to talk about is the second pasuk, which says, The land will rest. And then it says, Shabbat Lashem. Shabbat Lashem, uh, the Rishonim thought, was a difficult phrase. Because it sounds like you're giving something to God. Shabbat Lashem. And uh, no one could make sense out of that. No one could make sense out of that because if you keep a mitzvah, it's not obvious that you're giving something to God. What exactly you are doing is also not obvious, but you're certainly not giving anything to God. So the Shaftah Aret Shabbat Lashem became a difficult, a difficult phrase. Rashi takes care of it here and in many other places we have a similar problem. You see, where is the Rashi? The Rashi is at the bottom. You see Shabbat Lashem? Shabbat Lashem, the bottom of the Rashi. L'shem Hashem. L'shem Hashem means for God's sake, for the glory of God. It doesn't mean that you give something to God. It just means that you're aware of the fact, like what we call Kavanah, you're aware of the fact that you're doing it because God instructed you to do it. But not, you're not giving anything to God. Right? Not giving anything to God. So this problem of Shabbat Lashem, this problem of Shabbat Lashem connects to the general idea of mitzvot and their rationale. It was a very popular, it was very popular at a certain time in uh, Jewish history to try to figure out why God wants us to do what God wants us to do. Now for some mitzvot, it's obvious because the Torah itself explains, right? Sit in a sukkah on Sukkot because then you'll remember what was going on. Eat a matzah on Pesach because you'll remember that when the Jews left Mitzrayim, they ate, they ate a matzah. Some mitzvot are not so easy. Some mitzvot are not so easy. In fact, in fact, they're, they're very difficult. Now, one of the people who really went into this at great length was the Rambam. And the Rambam in the Mora Nebuchim, in the Guide to the Perplexed, the Rambam tries to explain almost every mitzvah in the Torah. But he goes through the halachot in the way he set it up in the Yad HaZakah. And every time, every time he comes to a group of mitzvah, he tries to explain why that mitzvah was demanded. And usually, usually the, the, the rationale of the Rambam divides into two major categories. One has to do with Avodah Zarah. There are many mitzvot where the Rambam says it was kind of retraining. We're being retrained in order to avoid Avodah Zarah. One of those mitzvot which annoyed others like the Ramban, that the Rambam says has something to do with the Avodah Zarah problem, is Korbanot, is the mitzvah of sacrifice in the Beit HaMikdash. And the Rambam says... The Rabbi says, well, since everybody did it, and since idolatry was rampant, so, I mean, as you can imagine, there might be some difference of opinion about what the Rambam actually said. What I'm telling you is what the Ramban, in the beginning of Vayikra, says that the Rambam said, according to the translation of the Moran Levuchim by Al-Kharizim. There were two famous translations of the 
Mora Nebuchim, one was by Shmuel Ibn Tibun, who came from a family of translators. They translated everything from Arabic into Hebrew. But there was another translation of the Mora Nebuchim by a poet. He wasn't a translator necessarily, he was a poet, Al-Kharizi, and that was the translation that the Ramban used in to study the Moran Nebuchim. I hope that was not too complicated a sentence. So the Ramban quotes the Moran Nebuchim in the beginning of his commentary on Vayikra, not like Pasugimu or something, from the translation of Al-Kharizi. And the Rambam says, that the Rambam said, that the reason we, we, uh, God legislated korbanot was in order to get us away from the korbanot of the idolaters. Somehow the Rambam thought that this would be a great attraction, you know, being able to sacrifice, and that if, if the Torah hadn't permitted sacrifices, we would all run away and seek out sacrificial locations and we, you know, where we could do whatever it is we, we, we wanted to do. And therefore, and therefore, so that's the first category, it's a big category of mitzvot, according to the Rambam, which are anti-avodazara mitzvot. The second category for the Rambam is pragmatic. Mitzvot are good for you. They organize life in a good way, they take care of problems, they do the right thing. That's all of that is, all of that is the second large category. So here on this page, on this page you have um, a long quote from the, uh, from the Guide to the Perplexed, which I will try to read. It's not easy if you can't see, but I'll try. As to the precepts, precepts on mitzvot, enumerated in the laws concerning the year of release and the jubilee. Jubilee is, um, is your verb. Some of them imply sympathy with our fellow men and and promise the well-being oh, no. what? and promote. promote oh promote oh, you could put up with that no the well-being promote the well-being of mankind for in reference to those precepts it is stated in the law that the poor of thy people may eat and besides, the land will also increase its produce and improve when it remains fallow for some time. In fact, you know, it's interesting that in the Chumash it says that you have to believe that it'll all turn out, that this mitzvah of Shemitah is a mitzvah that is kind of connected to your fundamental belief in the divine promise. And the Rambam says, no, it's, it's a practical thing. If you don't work the land once in seven years, everybody will be happy, the land will be happy, and you will be happy because you're going to get next year, you're going to get more potatoes out of the land. He doesn't mention the fact, he doesn't mention the fact that, that, uh, that the mitzvah itself, as it is stated, as they say the Torah, is a mitzvah of faith. I mean, that itself is a question. That's a question. The, the Rambam goes on in this vein. You have it there. If you want to look at it, you can look at it. What I want to look at now is the Kliyakar. You see the Kliyakar on the page? Rabbi Ephraim Lunchitz, uh, who was a Talmud of the Maharal. And at the end of the Maharal's life, when he was uh, an old man, he was the, the, the Maharal, his last stage it was an interesting example. He thinks that the Maharal must have been in Prague all his life, but in fact, he was not. He came to Maharal, came to Prague the second time or the third time, pretty late in life, and he became the chief rabbi of Prague. But he was, when he was old and frail, uh, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. So the Kliyakar became his kind of either associate rabbi or, or assistant rabbi, he became also the active chief rabbi in, uh, in Prague. So he was the outstanding student of the Maharal, and he wrote a Peirush on Chumash, which somehow was included in Mikraot Gedolot, I'm not sure why. I guess it fit the space somehow, there was like that much empty space. It looks like that. Well, he, <laughs> 
But it's in uh, it, all the editions of Mikraot Gidolot that include that include Rishonim and Achronim, which I'm leaving out. What's called the Torah Chayim, right? right? The the Moser of Rav Kook, uh, uh, Torah Chayim Mikraot Gidolot only has Rishonim in it, right? That's their thing. That you know the study of Torah ended in 1200. That was it, you know. So, but the uh, the other traditional, more traditional mikraot kedolot also contain achronim, notably the kliyakar and the orachayim. Those are the two commentaries that that they that they always that they always include in the standard in the standard versions of the mikraot kedolot. Uh, uh, so there you have it. You have to buy both. If you don't have both, you're missing out. So Shevta Arashabah, this is the Kliyakar. So the Kliyakar wrote a very long, uh, very digressive, sometimes quite interesting commentary on the on the Torah. It is sometimes very interesting. So look at what the, what, what he says. He says, mitzvah There are different opinions about this mitzvah, the mitzvah of Shemitah. Ki Rabbim Shatamhu Shetishbot Haaretz Kideshe Tosif Teit Kochal Zroa. He says many say that the reason for the reason Shemitah exists is to give the land a rest, and when after it rests, it will produce a, a better. It'll be a better a better kind of a, of a, pro, a producer. As we just saw. And he said, this is the opinion of the Rambam in the Moran Nebuchim, the Kliyakar says. There are those who disagree with him, but they say, so the the Kliyakar doesn't understand. He's quoting others, quoting other Mephoshim. He says, if this were true, that the reason you let the land lie fallow for a year is because you wanted to produce on a high level, high level production, and that would not be the case if you didn't let it lie fallow. So the Ramah says, so, so, so how come the Torah says that if you don't keep Shemitah, you're going to go into exile? Why should the punishment be going into exile? The punishment will be that you won't get produce. The thing is not going to work, so that's a punishment. What, what do you, why do you have to get rid of the Jews from Eretz Yisrael? So he says... Uh, Rabim Cholkim Alav Amushim Chesha Torah Lazer Shelot Tegalish Adama Lama Yitchayvu Galut Al Shmitat Haaretz Yeon Sham Shelot Osif Haaretz Teit Kolcha Lahem Vaod Sheein Ze Shabbat Lashem. He says, furthermore, we're stuck with these two words at the end of the pasuk Shabbat Lashem, which is where we started. I right? looked at the Rashi. Why is this called Shabbat Lashem? If you keep the the Shemitah, if the purpose of keeping the Shemitah is that the grass should grow faster, or that the seed should produce a, a, a better result, I mean, why is that called Shabbat, Shabbat Lashem? The way he says it is, so where is the Shabbat Lashem? Where is Shabbat Lashem in this process? Ki im litzorech ha'aretz, ki im litzorech ha'aretz, right? But it, because you're doing it for the land, not for God. It's not, you know, it's like, this is the nature. This is like, you know, somebody did a study and came up with the fact that you should do this, rotate the crops somehow, and then you're going to have a better result. So good, what's it got to do? It's not Shabbat Lashem, it's Shabbat La'aretz. Um, so then... Uh, so 
איך תשבות הארץ בהשמה מהם. So he says, after you exile the Jews from Eretz Yisrael, so Goyim are going to move in. Now they're certainly not going to keep Shemitah. They're certainly not going to be you know, sensitive to the needs of the land. So what was the point? What's the point? So this is all a way of opposing the position of the Rambam. The Rambam says it's a pragmatic matter. And the Kliyatar says, what do you mean pragmatic? Why do you have all these add-ons? Galut, exile, and then the people are going to come in and live there, and they're certainly not going to keep Shemitah. The whole thing doesn't make sense in according, according to the Rambam. According to the Rambam. Uh, then the, he goes on, he goes on, and he says, natan is a Sefer Akedah, Sefer Akedah, Yitzhak Arama, right? Did I get it right? Yitzhak Arama, it's, it's spelled the opposite of what you think. It's an ayin when you think it should be an olive, and it's an olive when you think it should be an ayin. So Arama is ayin, reish, mem, aleph, hey. Yitzhak Arama. He wrote a commentary on Chumash which is sort of like, it's written like essays. Like he raises a problem and he discusses it. You know, like, he was, uh, he was kind of a philosopher. You know, philosophy meant Greek philosophy. That everybody, everybody knew the same philosophy. Even the Kabbalists were like Greek philosophers. That was, was all there was. So, Natantam Acheva Mar, Shetachlit Mitzvah Zo, so he says, oh, it's like Shabbos. I mean, that's Akeda. He says, Shemitah, like Shabbos, it says Shabbos. So what is Shabbos? Shabbos is about remembering, right? You know, there's a mitzvah on Shabbat called Zachor. How do you do the mitzvah of Zachor? You make Kiddush. I mean, that's how we do it. We make Kiddush. So the mitzvah, so making Kiddush Friday night on Shabbat is a mitzvah min ha-Torah. That, that's, that's how you do it. You say, it's Shabbos. So Chazal thought that that was a little tacky. So they made it into a kind of, a, you know, a, enough words so you could sing it with a little tune. What? I said, but I think we light the candles. It's the same. Candles are only a minhag. I mean, it's, uh, it, it was established to take care of an of objective problem. Zachar Yom HaShabbat is something that, uh, only because the Torah says it, that we do it. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Lighting candles in your house takes care of an objective problem. The objective problem is it's dark. So it makes light. And people wouldn't eat the meal on Shabbat, Friday night, in order to save wax, to save the cost of the candles. So the Chachamim instituted this idea that you have to light candles of so that you could eat on Shabbat. It didn't matter anymore. No? Well, until you make Kiddush, you haven't fulfilled the support. The what? So until you make or hear Kiddush, you haven't fulfilled the support. Uh, today, yeah, there are people, they, they, you know, there's regular questions. I mean, if you dab in Mariv, so you mention Shabbat, it Mariv. So you have to be a little tricky and, and say that since you know that somebody's going to make Kiddush when you get home, even though you mention the Shabbat, during the tefillah, you don't really mean it. In, in, in other words, theoretically, any time you say, walk in the street and say good Shabbos to somebody, you've theoretically fulfilled the mitzvah of Zachor. Because midoraita, there's no nusach. There's no, nothing you're supposed to say. You're just supposed to say, it's Shabbos. So when you go home, when you get out of shul, men get out of shul Friday night. Usually men go to shul, and women don't on Friday night. I'm not taking a stand on the greater issues. But you say, everybody says, good Shabbos. So when you say good Shabbos, that is a statement about the day. And that's a fulfillment of Zachor. That's a fulfillment of Zachor. Some people say, some people say, no, you could only fulfill the Zachor in Hebrew. 
which is why sometimes people are makbid to say good Shabbos and not to say Shabbat Shalom. Because you say Shabbat Shalom, you're involved in a halachic issue. Right? What's the halachic? What's the halachic issue? You see, things that we can really get complicated. What's the halachic issue? You say Shabbat Shalom. What's the halachic issue? When you go home, you want to make kiddish. When you make kiddish, you want to be mozi everybody around the table. All the women around the table who are also hired to say kiddish, right, to say Zachorat Yom Shabbat Lekachet, all these women, uh, they're still hired midoraisa. But the man who's going to make kiddish is not hired midoraisa because he said Shabbat Shalom to somebody along the way. And you're already Yeah, well, he took care of davening because we said it doesn't count. He says, so now I have to say saying Shabbat Shalom also doesn't count. Why do you look incredulous? Because uh, <laughs> I haven't embraced it, right? The question is What is it? The question is good. says, like saying Shabbat Shalom is enough for Shabbat Shalom, which anyway, the Gemara talks about saying it in Aramaic. So, but, um, but then why shouldn't lighting candles be enough for a woman? Wait a second. What, what are you saying? I, I don't get it. She's also saying a Shabbos. She's also saying a Shabbos. Oh, a woman. Yeah. It, sounds, it sounds like a very good... Not all the women in the house light candles. I mean, you want to get... Uh, but one who does. Okay, so I didn't talk about that one. I was talking about the other one. And you can say a chef the on Right? Wait a second. I was just explaining what Shafar Yom Shabbat is. So the solution is when you get when you need to find a woman who didn't light candles to do kids. She should be kids. Yeah. Why not? How did you get first? So, so it, it's going on the, the highest authority, the highest authorities have declared that since you know that you're going to have to make Kiddush, Right, you know you're going to have to make it. So then when you say Shabbat Shalom, you don't mean it. <laughs> Which is not something we want to publicize because it's very unfriendly. It's like an unfriendly position. But that's the, that's the way out. That's the way out. Now, this solution is suggested by Kiva Eger, who was not uh, um, in, the, in the minor leagues in the halakhic world, you know, he was a very, he was a power hitter. It's true though, that when you say Shabbat Shalom, you don't mean, I'm going to the Amukadesh Hayom. You mean, hello, how are you? Yeah, no, but doesn't you say, true, hello, hello, but you don't say Shabbat Shalom on Thursday. True. So there's something to it. Okay. I'm not interested in Moses. Okay. You can say this, you can say that. Wednesday Yeah, but it doesn't count. It has to say, you have to say it on Shabbos. That's the whole thing. <laughs> so now, so he gets, so, so the Akedah said it's Shabbos, just like Shabbos, so too Shemitah. That's what he said. So just like Shabbos reminds you of the creation of the world, six days and the seventh day, so Shemitah also reminds you of, of, the, of the creation of the world, whatever it is you want it to, to remind you uh, of. The Chen Katav. Rav Yisrael also was very good at summarizing things. You know, he, he liked that. He liked to summarize. He wrote a very long commentary, very long commentary on the entire Tanakh. Because Rav Yisrael worked for a living. So he didn't have time to do the rest. You know, he just, he just wrote his commentary on the whole of Tanakh. And he says, Vosif od nofech mishelo, Vigam zera chok mi kiliotai, right? By uh, uh, what well, kidneys? Kidneys? Kids, you know, they don't. It doesn't. It doesn't absorb. You know, kids, kidneys absorb things and they clean them out. Doesn't do work by the barber. No, he doesn't know exactly what he said. Kiyodome lihuda vaod lekro kiyoma shabbat. Okay, so you have this, you have this idea. So now, what do, what do we have here? Who's we have on the one hand, what? Who's Yehuda? 
הוא דומה ליהודה? And that book, that book is basically a, a, a commentary on the Rambam, Shemitah Hilchot Shemitah V'yovel, which the Rambam and the Mordevuchim that we read mentions. Again, the Rambam, in, in the Rambam we read from the Mordevuchim, the guide, mentions that he's talking about the halachot of Shemitah and Yovel, which are found, again, in his work, on uh, uh, on halacha called Hilchot Shmitah V'Yovel, right? The end of the section, the large section called Zra'im in uh, in the world of the of the Rama. So the, this book Shabbat Haaretz, this book Shabbat Haaretz is a commentary on the whole of the Rambam on Shmitah V'Yovel. Furthermore. It contains a very long mavo discussing the specific problem of selling Eretz Yisrael, land in Eretz Yisrael to non-Jews so that you could eat the produce, you could eat the produce of, uh, of the land on the Shemitah year. Right? That's the, that's the, the two big parts, the two big parts of the book. Uh, this idea that you could sell the land of Israel, they could sell the land of Eretz Israel, and therefore circumvent the problem of uh, of Shemitah. I mean, the the actual, in fact, what happened was, what happened was, there were people who moved out of Me'er Sharim and they went to Petach Tikva. They became farmers, and they asked the question. But this was in the 1880s. Right, the 1880s, and they sent the question to Rabbi Yitzchol Chonan, who, who lived in, who was a, then considered to be the premier halachic authority uh, of the Jewish people, and they sent the Shaila to him in Krakow, and he was the one with a beitin that he assembled, who said that the solution to the problem is to sell the land of Israel. But he added a proviso. He had a proviso, and he said, since it's a very radical kind of idea, it's, uh, he, he, he thinks that it should be reinvestigated every seven years. It was the Yisrael Khanan said, it, it's not a heter that will stand on its own forever, but every seven years, you should look into it again, the Rabbanim, whoever, the post-skin that you depend on, should look into it again and do it again. And so Rav Kook, when he was matter, uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, who is Mata selling Eretz Israel to Goyim, he added the same proviso. He said, but, check into it every time Shemitah comes up, because this is a very difficult, it's a very difficult heter. So that's what he wrote in the, in the first part of the book, right? The second part of the book is the commentary on the Rambam. The first part of the book is about the Heter Mechira. And all of this, what comes before all of this is what he called Haktama, where he tries to give us a basic understanding of what, of what Shemitah is. And that's what we want to look at, okay? Ha-Shemitah ha-yovel b'zmanim, מתייחסים זה לזה. 
there's some relationship between Shemitah every seven years and Yovel once in 50 years right seven times seven the next one is called Yovel like the sun and the moon like just like Israel and Adam right Israel is like a community of people that Adam is a single person this is something that Rav Kook liked to write about right that there was uh, there was an entity called Cloud Yisrael. And Cloud Yisrael is judged, sometimes it seems that Cloud Yisrael is judged differently than the individual in Yisrael. And so Rav Kook could come up with the idea that if a person, if a person, a single person is Bechalel Shabbat, then he is, uh, he will be punished for the Chilul Shabbat that he did. However, if the community of Israel who is building the land and changing the world and making it a safe place for the Jewish people uh, uh, to continue and flourish, then the judgment of that cloud, right, includes, includes the great things that they are doing. And so the individual in the cloud might not be uh, uh, punished for being Mechalel Shabbat because he's part of the cloud that is creating the new entity for the Jewish people in Eretz Israel. Now you can understand that this might have got him into some trouble. He, Rav Kook, might have gotten into some trouble in trying to say that if a person is in the Chalel Shabbat, not so terrible if he's also building the land of Israel. This was not an idea that went over so well with, uh, with people who were traditional and even with people who were Datil uh, Umi. Uh, it was hard. It was a hard idea to understand, but that's what he is saying. What is he saying? The next paragraph: Migoy Gadol, Ashelo Elokim Kirovim Elam, Skulatashel Knesset Yisrael Hu Shehi Mistakelet Al Havayatula Baspaklaria Hameirashel Kodesh Bekol Az Chayeha He Makere. Listen, you see these words. Uh, he says, Sgulata shall Knesset Yisrael. Knesset Yisrael is some entity. I mean, we don't know about it. I mean, we can say Knesset Yisrael, but we, we, we can't identify it so easily. It's not part of our, our education. We haven't been taught to recognize Knesset Yisrael. But he, he thought Knesset Yisrael was obvious. There was a Knesset Yisrael, Shehi Mistakelet Al Havayakula. Right, Knesset Yisrael, Mistakelet. And we look at Knesset looks at, and we look at the totality of existence. And we say, is it better? Are things improving? Like we can say that. We can say, look, uh, uh, look at Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the, like you could say to the, you could say, this guy is a politician and he does uh, the wrong thing, right? He doesn't keep Shabbos. So it's very bad. And therefore, since most of the politicians in Israel are like that, so the whole thing is very bad, right? Or you could say, well, look at, the, look at Israel. It's steadily producing a place where more and more people can learn Torah. It's produced, its result is a, a place where more and more people, more and more people are able to keep the mitzvot and, and do the Torah. So even though those same politicians are the same, I mean, they, they may not be interested, but the, the, the Kalal Yisrael seems to be interested as a cloud where they seem to be doing the right thing. So you could say, well, I want to judge them as the cloud, being part of this cloud. So again, you say, if you live in Borough Park, no, that's no Borough Park. If you live in Tinek, right, and you're Mechalel Shabbos it's not a bad guy. But if you live in, uh, in Israel, and you do Milim, and you go to the army, and your kids are, are involved in building uh, the land. So it's different. It's a different kind of situation. That's what Rav Kook, I think, that's what I think he thought. So now, we go on and we say, Bechol Eitz Chayim Himakeret, Shechayim Shavim Heim, 
את ערכם רק באותה מידה שהם אלוקיים. It's another idea that the medievalists all recognize that. Like Aristotle, Aristotle said, you know, that there are, there's a domain and there's chai and there's man. Right? There's like the inanimate, the animate, animate, you know, like, like flowers and animals and, you know, they just, they just live on, on reflex. They do whatever they do. They never change. And then there's man. Man has this apparent ability to make decisions about how he slash she will be. That's uh, so. This this idea, this idea which comes from Aristotle, was accepted. Everybody accepts that. Even we accept that. But uh, sorry, let me just ask something about what you said before from Rav Isn't it the total opposite? Of everything that the Torah seems to say. Of what? Who says the, of the what Torah? Saying, yeah, because like tell. a simple reading of the Torah seems to say, if you don't have the Torah in Eretz Yisrael, then it's ten times worse. Who's the you in this? I don't know why is it ten times worse. You mean talk about Shemitah? The land will let you out. The land doesn't tolerate. Oh, certain kinds of averes. Certain averes, not all the averes. Shemitah, Shemitah, and Arayas. Otherwise, you could do it with parents. What? Otherwise, it's okay. I don't think it's okay. You'll be punished as an individual, but you don't have this, you don't have a national calamity. Shemitah and Arayos, right? The, the indiscriminate sexual uh, transgressions, you 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 create a national calamity. But if you're mechalal Shabbos b'farhesia, so you are punished. You don't create. It doesn't. We don't know that you create a national calamity. You're punished. But we do. But we do. What? Sorry, do you mind me asking? But we do have a concept that the closer you come to Kedusha in general, the stricter and higher the standards. Yes, so, okay, so. And he seems to totally turn that on its Well, head. what are you talking about? Nadavaviyu? What, what are we talking about? There were just two people, they were killed. They were, they, it didn't cause the exile of the Jewish people. No, in fact, by Grisha, the Gemara says they, they did every Aver in the book. In order to get uh, to get exiled, no. Um, I don't know. We have it like as we go through the midbar and and Hakadosh Baruch Hu kind of withdrawing because we can't cope. Yeah, we say that you're explaining. You're saying something that you think is correct. Maybe it is, but it doesn't say that in the Torah. It does say that if you don't keep shemitah, you're going to be exiled. It says that in the Torah. It says if you don't act uh, properly uh, sexually, which the Rabbim says also has to do with, with idolatry, then you're going to be exiled. That's what, that's what it says. It doesn't say if you're Bechal Shabbos, you're going to be exiled. Although you could find a source someplace that says that. That, you know, because uh, uh, the opposite is true. The Gemara says that if you keep two Shabbatot or three Shabbatot, if the, all the Jewish people would keep Shabbos, then the then the the exile would end. We would all be redeemed. Okay, you can find things like that, but you can't. But it doesn't say that in the Torah. It says it in the Gemara someplace, but but the Torah doesn't say anything like that. Torah, other Shoftim Shoftim that they that you talk about individuals. The individual gets gets judged. The visual, the, the, not the, the, there's also a judge with the larger communities here, and Nidacha. We have all the, all the variations. But generally, when you speak about punishment, you speak about punishment for an individual who did in a particular Avera. Okay, let's look, let's look at the draft clip. So here he says, here it says, Shebemet en chayim elokiyim. In other words, not only is there a distinction between domain, chai, and man, slash woman, but we all understand that man is complicated. Because man, I don't have to keep saying this, woman, I'll say woman. Yeah. Because yes. woman, yes. I'll say woman. <laughs> okay, that's, that'll, that'll work. So a woman, a woman is a combination, is a combination of, of exalted potential, but uh, pragmatic, pragmatic needs, right? So, uh, you, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to 
dress warmly if it's cold. You have to turn on the air conditioner if it's hot. In other words, we are very much a product of our physicality. Right? So what is, what prey could be the, the what he calls chayim elokiyim? Right? The, the, what the, what the Pesach says, the Pesach quoted, uh, above, right? There's a, how do we produce this idea of closeness to God? Well, the answer is, everybody will say the same thing, that you have in you this ability. You have some talent which enables you to come close to God. So you can say, you can say, for example, according to the Rambam, According to Rambam, it's a mitzvah to daven. There's a mitzvah to daven once a day, and he knows what you want, but there's a mitzvah to daven. Even those who disagree with the Rambam, like the Ramban, and others who say there's no mitzvah to daven, they agree that people daven. And the Tanakh is full of people who daven. And there's no doubt that when you feel somehow the, the weight of the world is upon you, you, you turn to God and you daven, right? That's a regular thing. Now, now, in Hasidut, they would say, this uh, 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 Rav Nachman also said this. He said that if God put the ability to daven into us, it must be, it must be that it works. It can't be that it doesn't work. Why would, I mean, um, this is not Rabbi Salavetrik's existential philosophy, but it's a different kind of philosophy. If we can daven, if we can daven, if you say, all right, I've got a daven, you know, like Tevia in, in, that, in that play. I, 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 you say, listen, I've had it. You know, I can't do it. I can't, there's no way, you've got to help me out, right? So people do that. Now, the buffaloes, they don't do that. They don't do that. They just take what, meet it out to them. You know, you shoot the buffalo, it just dies. It doesn't say, Shema Yisrael on the way out of the world. But, but people have this capacity to daven. And if you have like a little cleverness, you say, uh, uh, the Rashi says, right? If you remember Rashi? So Rashi says, the job of woman in the world is, is to daven. It's a daven. And if you daven, it's going to rain. And if you don't daven, it's not going to rain. Therefore, I come to this father, Rav Nachman, I think, came to the conclusion. So it's got to work. If you daven, it's got to work. So, but it seems to be counterindicated. Like it doesn't work. People daven, they daven for somebody's well-being or for good health or this, and nothing happens. It doesn't work. So you have to add a codicil to the original idea, which is that it's got to work. It'll only work if you are living chayim elokiyim. If you're coming close to God, as the Pesach says, shelo elohim krovim elah. If you if you are close to God, if you're not close to God, so you're not really davening. You're not using that talent that you have uh, uh, bestowed upon you, right, that that will work. It'll work every time. It'll work every time. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu, why Moshe Rabbeinu was able to argue, that's a different thing than Rabbi Nachman said, that the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to argue with God about B'nai Yisrael was because he was to the point the defense attorney. That was his job. There was a job. How the, 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 the didn't say, gee, God wants to do the in, so that's it. I'll look for another job. But he argued with God. How do you argue with God? I mean, what, what, what was his svarah? So the svarah was, I am the appointed defense attorney for the Jewish people. If I'm the appointed defense attorney for the Jewish people, that means that I've got to, I've got to be right. It's got to work. That's what it means to be the appointed defense attorney for the Jewish people. It's not that Moshe Rabbeinu had chutzpah, or he thought that his argument, he could come up with an argument that God never thought of. Well, it wasn't like that. It was that his job was to make the argument. And once he did his job, he knew it would work. So even after the Chaita Hegel, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I've got to argue, I've got to put forth the case. But what did he say? He didn't have a case. He said, what will happen? People all over the world will think that God 
has not uh, been able to, to pull it off, to get the Jews out of the tribe, you're going to kill them all, which seems to me to be kind of a, uh, a weak argument at best to, 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 pr- to present to God with. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Moshe Rabbeinu was the defense attorney. And as the defense attorney appointed by God, he knew that it would work. It had to work. There was no, because otherwise the appointment wouldn't be. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't have been an appointment. So that's what he talks about. So, but this is the, the primary quality that we have, that we can come close to God. And we usually think of coming close to God as like almost physical. Here's God, here's me, I'm going to come close to God. But coming close to God for the philosophers and for the Hasidim, who are also philosophers of a sort, meant that the God-like qualities in me are being pulled out. You know, they become dominant. They become my dominant, my dominant qualities. Uh, uh, so, uh, so I would say this. I would say this. What is it that we do when we keep Shemitah according to the Rambam? What we do is we create a just world, right? There are fewer poor people. There are few people who haven't got anything to, 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 to eat. We, we take a step in the direction of a just world. Now, when, when uh, I think when a Torah person says, I want to create a just world, it's not like a reformed Jew today, even though they're very nice, are very, uh, they're very fine, and, and they want to save the dolphins, it's very good, everything's fine. I'm not saying, but, but, but you see, the reformed Jews want to save the world because it seems to them that it's a good idea. Right? It seems that it's a good idea. The Torah people don't think of it that way. They say, they say it's the Torah opens with Gan Eden. That's what the Torah says. And therefore, as the Ramban says at the end of the Torah, therefore, because the Torah starts with Gan Eden, say, why does the Torah tell us about Gan Eden? Why does the Torah have to tell you, and have to tell you that, that, that Adam and Chavah got kicked out of Gan Eden? Why can't you start the story post Gan Eden? I mean, there's no Gan Eden, so what, what's the difference? So the answer probably is, the answer for all these other people, Right, we're not saving the dolphins necessarily. The answer for all of those people is that uh, is that Gan Eden presents us with the ultimate model. What's Gan Eden? Gan Eden was you didn't really work too hard. You could eat whatever there was. Everybody had food to eat, and you could always talk to God. So that becomes like a theory. A theoretical model for actual life. He said, like, what do you want to do? I want everybody to have something to eat. I want everybody to be able to learn Torah. I want everybody to be able to involve themselves somehow in this, in this great process. I want everybody to be in Gan Eden. Ah, I can't do it. I can't, what am I going to do? I'm going to jump off the roof. I, mean, I, can't, I can't do all of that. So along comes the Torah intervenes. The Torah intervenes and says, yes, you've got the right idea. Can't do it, but once in seven years, Shabbat Lashem, you create this reality. You create this reality once in seven years. You could do it, right? Once in seven years, and make and make uh, uh, make the world uh, sensitive to the fact that there might be a better world, which is what, uh, in fact, Shabbat Lashem means. You make the Shabbat. For the sake of God, for the sake of the world that God uh, obviously wanted to wanted to create, so it turns out, if you like, just sort of squint a little bit, that the position that Rav Cook enunciated, which is that a person has to kind of uh, feel God 
in what he is doing and see that the, that, that becomes the dominant part of his personality. So he says, all of that, all of that is exactly the same as what the Rambam said. Of course, I know it's not. But I'm just saying it for the sake of, like, you know, to make it something sound good. So the Rambam said that, what do you do on Shemitah? You take care of things that you ordinarily cannot take care of. On the other side. On the other side. It didn't annoy me, but it annoyed everybody else. So so the Rabbam said the Rabbam says on Shemitah, on the Shemitah year excellent, thank you very much. I'm very glad you came. There's a reason for having I suppose. So you see, let me just say, let me just say it, let me, let me say it one more time with, with less enthusiasm. The, the, uh, the Rambam says, the Rambam says that the reason that you keep Shemitah is because you create within the big world a better world. Right? You're able to function better, the crops are going to grow better, the people are going to have uh, what to eat in spite of the fact that you're not producing you're not producing that much and your gross national product has gone down but you still are going to be sensitized you're going to be sensitized to the needs of to the needs of others Rav Cook said Rav Cook says look you know we're always searching for a, a, a life that connects us to the divine that uses our special talents in order to make it possible for the world to be a better world. What's a better world? That's Gan Eden. You want to make Gan Eden. Gan Eden is a place where people had a lot of spare time. Right? You were able to devote... I mean, I know that some things happened in Gan Eden that were not so good. But the idea of Gan Eden is that in some ultimate way, there's a better life. There's a life that, that takes you out of whatever it is you're involved with and, and weighing you down, weighing you, weighs you down, and, and opens the door to a, a different kind of life, a more, uh, a life of, gra- of different kinds of opportunities. And so you see that while they're certainly different, Rav Kook and the Rambam on this matter uh, uh, come together. And so I'll say one last thing before I stop. Uh, you know the Balatanya, I think I told you the story of the Balatanya. Uh, was in a town called Lubavitch. And he had a yeshiva. This is what they say. I, I mean, he certainly had a yeshiva. But this is a story. So he had a yeshiva. And the yeshiva, there were three classes in the yeshiva. The first class on the first floor, uh, the students had to learn nigma. They had to know everything, the shots and the shulchanar. That's what they learned in the first floor. When they finished learning all that stuff, they moved up to the second floor. And they learned all the Kabbalistic works that existed at the time, and they had to know them very well, and the Balatanya would come and give them exams, etc., etc. But they finished the second floor. The first floor is Nigla, second floor is Nistar, the third floor was the Rambam. Because the Balatanya said, it's all in the Rambam. It's all in the Rambam. So here we did this uh, in, in, with the memory of the Balatanya in mind. It's all, it's all in the Rambam, you see. Okay, have a good